Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today for the broadcast. Now, today we're going to be completing the study that we started yesterday on Believe Number 17. Believe Number 17, talking about spiritual gifts. And yesterday we went through 18 various spiritual gifts, kind of as an overview. And today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to focus in on Romans chapter 12, looking at seven gifts that are wrapped in genuine love. And when that happens, it produces seven acts of grace. Now, Chariots of Fire is a true story of two British runners that were competing in the 1924 Olympics. Eric Little is a devout Christian. He was one of the fastest runners in the world. Eric's sister, Jeannie, wanted him to leave competitive running to join the family on a mission field to China. Jeannie feels like Eric was putting his running ahead of serving God. And so she questions his commitment. In one scene, Eric attempts to help his sister see his point of view. Eric announces with a smile, I've decided I'm going back to China. The missionary service has accepted me. Jeannie interrupts him and says, Oh, Eric, I am so pleased to hear that. But then Eric continues by saying, But I've got a lot of running to do first, Jeannie. You've got to understand, I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China. He also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You're right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. Here we have an example of a man who used the talent that God gave him to be a blessing to others, to give him a platform to share the gospel in China. Well, today in Romans chapter 12, I want to look at seven gifts that were given to the church. We're going to hone in on the gift of prophecy, the gift of service, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving or contribution, the gift of leadership, and then the gift of mercy. Let's read what Paul said about this in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse number four. Paul says, I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you. Now, this is setting the stage when it comes to talking about our gift in this. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly. You know, as I was leaving my neighborhood this morning uh, to drop my son off at school and come to do the broadcast, I noticed that somebody over the weekend uh, apparently was not sober, and their vehicle went right across the front lawn of my uh, neighbor in the beginning part of our neighborhood and knocked over the post that has the telephone wires on it and went right through that. And you could see the tire treads and ended up going right into the front part of a house. Uh, that was a person who was not sober, obviously. So Paul says, don't think of yourself in an unsober manner, but think of yourself soberly as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. And then he reminds us that we're one body, I guess you could say one system, but we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So one body, many members, one body, give it according to grace. 
Grace is unmerited favor. These are gifts that God gives to us that we haven't earned. Uh, We didn't even necessarily ask for them. They're gifts that God has given us. So then Paul says, if you have the gift of prophecy, then go ahead and prophesy in proportion to our faith. So there's different levels of this gift of prophecy. And then he goes on and says, secondly, if you have the gift of serving, then then go ahead and serve, right? Don't be one who just sits back and doesn't serve, right? Use that gift. Start serving people. If you have that gift of teaching, well, get in front of a classroom. Start teaching. If you have the gift of exhortation, well, start exhorting people, right? Start challenging people. Start helping people to see what they can do when they're on the right track with God. If you have the gift of giving, or give it generously. If you have that gift of leadership, right? Don't be half-hearted about it. Do it with zeal. And then if you have that gift of mercy, right? Don't do it downheartedly. Do it with cheerfulness, right? Look at it like I had this opportunity to encourage people. So let's look at these gifts. Number one, the gift of prophecy. Uh, That is the ability that the Apostle Paul spoke of, this ability to faithfully look into God's Word and to help lead the church. He put it this way in the book of Ephesians, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being a cornerstone. And so the gift of prophecy, the gift of apostleship is the foundation of the church along with Christ. Some are apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So here we discover that God has set up the prophet to guide the church. Number two is the gift of serving. Uh, That is one who is passionately serving and has this drive to serve the body of Christ. They are diligent in serving the body of Christ. Then we have the gift of teaching. That is instructing others in truth. As you think about teachers, right? A teacher's basic motivational drive is to discover and validate truth. Teachers are very sensitive to doctrinal integrity. We're talking about the church and they have a great ability to research things. They are sincere. Christians who have the gift of teaching serve for and search for truth. Uh, They study diligently. They they sift through a lot of stuff of scriptures, and and they use a whole lot of different uh, archaeological evidence and and biblical evidence, and and they look at uh, a whole lot of commentaries. And so they're hoping to find answers to numerous questions. The most important gift today, measured by Paul's principle here, that we should excel in these, is that we should build up the church, is teaching. Nothing builds up the church like the truth, the truth of solid biblical teaching. And we desperately need more Christian teachers all over the world. And then there's another gift here. All right, we've talked about the prophecy. That one is setting the overall direction of the church. We talked about those who serve within the church. That kind of takes care of all the needs of the church. We talk about the teaching. Those are the ones that keep us on a, on a solid path doctrinally. And then we have the gift of exhortation. That is encouraging. Exhortation is that gift that enables a person to encourage others to become mature in Christ. Those with this gift of exhortation, they will attempt to bring out the best in people. Indeed, it is to bring others to spiritual maturity. Exhortation includes rebuking fellow believers for their sins, and it's not the same as teaching. It is more of a call to action. As a matter of fact, Jude wrote about this exhortation gift 
when he wrote these words in, in the book of Jude, in verse number three, there's only one chapter in Jude. Jude says, Beloved, while eagerly preparing to write to you about the salvation we share, he says, I find it necessary to write and to appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So the gift of exhortation is this appeal to contend for the faith. Don't give up on the faith. Don't quit, right? Encouraging people to keep on keeping on. Listen, every one of us, from time to time, needs somebody to encourage us. I remember many years ago, uh, we were just starting the church, and I was having a hard time getting people to come, and and just a small group of us, and uh, I used to apologize because we had so few people coming, and and, uh, and and somebody came and challenged me. I, I said, you know, I'm not sure that this is worth it. And uh, I thought about quitting, but I knew I never could quit But uh, because God called me to do it. But I, I had this person that come and said, now listen, if you quit and, and started naming off people in our in our little fledgling church, uh, began by saying, well, what's Tom going to do? What's Joanne going to do? What's George going to do if you quit? You have people that are depending upon you. Don't make it all about yourself. Hang in there. You've got people that need you. How are they going to grow in your faith if you're not exhorting them? So sometimes we need the the person to re- we need to receive exhortation. Sometimes we need to give exhortation. The next gift we look at is the gift of giving. This is uh, giving generously, right? You know, a, a giver's basic motivational drive is is to conserve what they can so they can share resources in order to meet needs. You know, givers take a special delight in discovering the needs that others tend to overlook. You know, just recently in, a, in an elders meeting, uh, we have some guys that are really gifted in giving, and they're very generous, and, and they found out about a need in our church, and, and it was one of those needs that this person who had this need wasn't talking about it, uh, but they found out about it. And they said, you know what we need to do in the church? We need to meet that need. We need to give generously to take care of this uh, particular need. And so they said, here, we're going to take care of it. And that's what they did. They took care of it. It was a, a need of several thousand dollars that a, that a member had, and we just jumped in and said, we're going to take care of it. Uh, you know, you think a, a giver gets joy by finding less costly ways to do things so they could give more generously. You know, as I think about the gift of givers, givers oftentimes like to stay out of the limelight. They just want to give and be a blessing to others. Uh, that's where they get joy by blessing others, by being generous. And the next gift that we see is the gift of leading, number six. Uh, this is excitement, right? This is an, an, an inspirational leader. It's somebody who has this God-given ability by God to inspire and to coordinate the actions of others. Uh, they inspire others to do God's work through the way they speak and the way they do their duties. Jesus is the best example of this. He was an inspiring leader, not just inspiring emotion but inspiring devotion. Not just feeling good, but acting good. Compelling others to action because you want to, not because you have to. Listen, if your church is led by a godly, spirit-filled leader, you are blessed. Hey, I'm talking about the leader who is all about himself. Uh, We have enough egocentric leaders. We don't need any more pastors being egocentric, but leaders who will challenge us to be all that we can in Christ. And then we have the gift of mercy. This is the gift of cheerfulness, cheerfully giving mercy. A mercy giver's basic motivational drive 
is this sense to respond to the emotional and the spiritual needs of others, and even sometimes the physical needs of others. Those with a mercy motivational gift, they have this divine ability to sense a hurt and to respond to it with love and with understanding. The mature mercy giver is kind and, and gentle. Mercy givers sense and they reflect the spiritual and the emotional atmosphere around them. Whereas prophets and organizers and teachers, man, they tend to have a proper attitude toward others. Individuals who have the gift of mercy and exhortation are more likely to sense how others feel. Mercies need to be needed. They love to reach out and be a blessing to others. Well, those are the seven gifts that we have covered so far. The gift of serving, the gift of prophecy, number three, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of leading, and the gift of mercy. Those are the seven gifts that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 12. As we've looked up through verse number eight, now I want to drop down to verse number nine of Romans chapter 12, where Paul says, in references to these gifts, that to be wrapped in genuine love, he says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Here we see that these gifts, these seven gifts, are wrapped in genuine, bona fide love. And where do we see this? We see this, first of all, in my attitude. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 145, verse number 20, he says, the Lord preserves all those who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. As you think about the fact that you are invincible until God is done with you, do you have that kind of attitude? Or do you have the attitude that I'm going to throw in a towel, I quit? Wrapped in genuine love is one who has that attitude that the Lord is going to be with me. He's going to preserve me every step of the way. And everyone who loves him will have that same blessing in their lives. We see the love, not only in my attitude, but also in what I hate, what I abhor. You know, biblically speaking, there are positive and negative aspects to hatred. It is acceptable to hate those things that God hates. Did you know that? Indeed, this is very much a proof of a right standing with God. Uh, The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 97, verse number 10, let those who love the Lord hate evil. You see, hate derives from a strong dislike or this ill will toward a person or things. As an emotional attitude, a person may oppose, detest, or despise contact with a thing or person. Love and hatred are often opposed to one another. Wisdom says there's a time to love and there's a time to hate. No, I didn't say that. Ecclesiastes 3.8, Solomon said that. In the biblical record, every being may express or experience hate. The Bible says that God hates certain things. He hates religiosity, for example. In Hosea 9.15, he says, because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there because of their sinful deeds. 
I'm going to drive them out of my house. In other words, they were gathering to worship, but they were filled with wickedness. And God says, I've got to drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. God hates rebellion. God hates religiosity. You know, God hates hypocrisy and lies, according to Zechariah 8. God hates wrongdoing. Isaiah 61, 8. God hates divorce. And God doesn't hate the people that are divorced. God doesn't hate the people that are doing wrong. Uh, God doesn't hate the person who's a hypocrite, but he hates hypocrisy. He hates wrongdoing. He hates divorce. Malachi 2.16 says that not only does God hate divorce, but he, he hates violence. He hates idolatrous practices, uh, Hosea 9.15. And he hates the way that the prophets were being treated in Jeremiah 44.4. You see, the, the theology underlying God's hatred rests upon two essentials of God, his holiness on one hand and his justice on the other. As a divine being with standard, God hates anything that despises or disregards his holy standard. In return, people often hate God. As Psalm 139 verses 21 and 22 talks about those who hate God. You know, humanity may choose to follow in God's path in hating anything that God hates, or they can follow down a different path. The choice is theirs. So when we think about our spiritual gifts being wrapped in genuine love. It affects our attitude. It affects what we hate, but it also affects my ambitions. When I really am wrapped in the genuine love of Christ, I express that love in how I am carrying out my ambition. You know, as I think about ambition, we all need others to help us succeed. In his book, Outliners, the author, Malcolm Gladwell, tells a story of Christopher Langan, who is a genius with a staggering IQ of 195. And now, to put that in perspective, Einstein had an IQ of 150. Well, during high school, Langan could ace any foreign language test by simply skimming the textbook two or three minutes before he took the exam. He got a perfect score on, the, on his SAT, even though at one point he fell asleep. But Langan failed to use his exceptional gifts and ended up working on a horse farm in rural Missouri. According to Gladwell, Langan never had a community to help him capitalize on his gifts. As a result, he could summarize Langan's life in one sentence. He had made his way alone, and no one, not rock stars, not professional athletes, not software billionaires, not even a genius, ever makes it alone. As I think about the ambitions that God has given us, if it's wrapped in love, we have this opportunity to be connected with others and to help others succeed in their journey and their relationship with Christ. The body of Christ is better when we come together and we all use our spiritual gifts to glorify God, to build up the body of Christ. Then we have tremendous joy. Well, I said to you, there's a product that is produced as we have these seven acts of grace. 
We spend many minutes talking about the seven gifts mentioned in Romans chapter 12, and then we talked how they should be used and driven with genuine love. Now let's look at what they produce. Seven acts of grace. Now we're down in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 14. Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, here are the seven acts of grace that are produced. Number one is blessing. That is withholding a curse when we are persecuted. When the pressure is on us, we can withhold a curse. That is, as we exercise our gift, we bless others. When we are doing it in love, others receive a blessing. Number two is rejoicing. Rejoicing or weeping, right? Uh, This is this connection, emotionally connecting with one another. When we use the gifts that God has given us, it gives us this wonderful opportunity to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. There is a special connection that takes place when we are using the gifts that God has given us. I think especially of the gift of mercy. You come alongside somebody and you're there with them. You know, many years ago, I had a friend who came alongside of me who helped me to navigate through a very difficult time in my life. His name was James Moffitt. James was one of these guys. He was a country guy from Tennessee. Uh, He was in the United States Army, did four years in the Army. I met him when I was a student at college. He contracted a terrible disease, and that disease ended up taking his life. He connected with me and was able to help me during a very difficult time in my life where I was involved in a very serious accident in which I didn't get hurt, but somebody else was seriously injured and And I was sued and and went through a whole time of depression, a whole time of dealing with that that horrific event in my life. James Moffat was there for me every step of the way. In return, I was there for him. When he became a hemophiliac and had a blood disease and then ended up getting AIDS and ended up passing away, I was there with him to help him through the final days of his life. He asked me to speak at his funeral, and I did with great honor I spoke of my friend James. What happened? We emotionally connected with one another. I used the gifts that I had to help him, and he used the gifts that he had to help me. Think about what the church would look like if each and every one of us would reach out and bless others. There's something else that would be a benefit. Another act of grace is that we would be living in harmony with one another. We'd have that habit of getting along with others. Number four, We would have the grace of modesty, right? Connecting with others, not being self-centered. You know, I think about any sin that we commit, obviously is related to this this sin of pride, 
But the sin of pride spins off into the sin of selfishness. We tend to be very self-centered people. Just recently, I was talking to a family who decided that they no longer wanted to come to church, and and I tried to tell them in a very nice way that they're being very self-centered, and they're thinking that everything was about them, and because something happened that didn't go the way they wanted to do, they became very self-centered. And the next gift is the gift of peace-loving, one who is a an initiator of, of peace, and one who is able to bring peace in a, and chaos. The sixth gift would be the gift of not being revengeful, replacing revenge with the gift of God's forgiveness. And then the last gift of grace is that ability to overcome, where we can defeat evil, where goodness triumphs over evil. Now listen, as you think about your life today, maybe you're struggling. When I do everything possible to live with others, I will live at peace. I can be at peace with God. Maybe you're looking at your life and and you're deciding that I'm no longer going to repay evil for evil. I want you to know that you receive honor in return. I think the biggest thing that we struggle with is this lack of forgiveness. Maybe you need to forgive somebody today and, and you realize that this is not a one-time act. It's a process. The process of releasing that person of that offense. You will be set free. That person will be set free. And God will be glorified. Well, thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.